0: Dandate
1: so you don't everywhere. have to leave your house. There you go. Like, I don't like No, it. it's nice to <laughs> leave your house.
0: Sometimes. Welcome to Newsweek Conversations. Jamie Linsickler, thank you so much for coming. Thank we're you for having so me. So excited to be here. I was a Sopranos fan forever. Happened to be out when my kids were really young, and so we would uh, you know we'd put them to bed or we'd get a moment and it was video, VOD was just happening so we could watch whatever episode yeah. we were up to it was fantastic That's so great. I can't say you babysat my babies but kind of <laughs> kind of did so
1: Or got you through it. Yeah. <laughs> you got us through it.
0: So thank you. Um, you started doing that when you were 17 years old if I'm right. 16 with the pilot. Yeah. 16 with the pilot mm-hmm. and 17 and then did it for 8 years or 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, how was, what was that like? I mean, what was it like to grow up? Those are un- unbelievably, form- I remember my 16, 17, 18, yes. 19, 20, 21, 22, what that was like very formative years.
1: Yes.
0: High school, you, well, uh, how what was that like living like that?
1: Oh, well, you know, prior to that I had, I was in the business and I think everyone around me, all my friends knew that it was a passion of mine. It was strictly musical theater prior to that. So when I got Sopranos, um, it started to air I never left my public school in Long Island where I was attending. It was just this fun thing that I could celebrate, like all the performances of, of Annie at the Y that my friends came to see me And Now it was like all paid off that they saw me in this you know, <laughs> big production and this amazing show. I remember my senior year in high school, they all came over every Sunday night to watch with me. So it was a really fun to kind of end that chapter of my life with that beginning of my next chapter, kind of. And then... Were
0: you crowned prom queen or no, something as a result no. of it?
1: It was no special treatment by any means, which is how I would have always wanted it. Yeah. Um, they were just happy for me yeah. and just you know thrilled that they could see my dream happening. And then I wanted to, I think because I had done all of the steps with all of my friends as far as adolescence and middle school and high school, despite my extracurricular activity of acting, uh, I wanted to go to college as well. So I was accepted at NYU moved into the dorms. I was a psychology major. I felt um, a little nervous about entering into any of the acting programs and sort of being broken down and, you know, dissecting my process when I was already working. But unfortunately, because I wasn't in any of those programs, they couldn't work around my filming schedule and I I had to defer. Um, and then I just moved into an apartment in New York City and shot The Sopranos for the next couple of years. So
0: actually you're still deferred from NYU. You I could, am. <laughs> you could I go am back. still deferred. <laughs> you could go back and finish <laughs> you up. You never
1: know. Not, I'm <laughs> a little busy now, but yes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, sopranos was such a huge part of, modern, of popular culture back then. Is, do you still feel it today? Is it still... Um,
1: I feel like I feel it more today than when it was airing. I was so young and it was so personal for me then. It was so hard for me to see like the grand view of it that everybody had because that was like my other home, that was my place, those were my people, that was my security. For so many years, the 10 years that I shot that show, of the ups and downs in my personal life and of my own growth that was just the place I always went back to. So it was so hard for me to see it as anything but that. Now all these years past and hearing how people and how I can talk about shows that I love so much and think are just so cinematic and amazing and they touch me and affect me, I can appreciate and understand the way Sopranos made them feel.
0: That's pretty great. So there's a there's a few things that have happened in your life that you've that, that were challenges with, that were thrown up to you and you've managed to overcome. The first one that I'd love to talk a little bit about, you share as much or as little as you'd like, is um, at the very beginning of the propranas, you, like many young women, were suffering from an eating disorder. Yes. What, what was that like? How did it affect the show? What, what happened?
1: It kind of snuck up on me between filming the pilot and the actual show, which was a full year. Yeah. The catalyst was, was a break, my first heartbreak, but then I think there was oh. something already kind of brewing under there. I think yeah. it was more of a control issue, um, body changing, you know, pres- teenage pressures that I just started to focus more heavily on it. And Losing weight started to become like a game for me. Like, I didn't feel like I was doing it right unless I saw the scale go down. It wasn't even about what I saw in the mirror. I didn't like how thin I was getting, but I couldn't stop. When we went back for filming for The Sopranos, at that point I had acknowledged that I had an issue. I was in therapy, I had gained five pounds, and in my head that was so much I thought, they're not gonna be able to tell the difference. I was still (laughs) much smaller. Um, So there was like a little bit of a discussion of um, a concern for me of whether I would be able to fulfill my role on the show. And I think that that possibility of losing out on this dream because of that was sort of a a motivator for me to like speed up my recovery. But I think that in hindsight, um, I still, even though I was gaining weight, I still had like disordered eating for a couple of years because I was, Fluctuating up and down and up and down, trying to satisfy others to keep my job. Yeah. But with that said, I know that everyone in Sopranos like it never mattered to them what I weighed or how I looked each season. I was a teenage girl; Meadow was allowed to fluctuate too. It was just yeah. that I was healthy,
0: right? Uh, you know, and what not everyone has the motivation of making sure that you're in of the course. Sopranos. <laughs> it's a yes. pretty big motivator. Yes. So, what would advice would you have to? Whether it's to the teenage girl or the parent of the teenager, you know, how do you, because it it affects a large proportion of the population.
1: Correct. I think that for me, the, the one message I would like to put out there is that I was in the deepest, darkest depths of an eating disorder where I saw no way out. I didn't think I could ever live a life that didn't involve counting calories and exercising and and barely eating, and neither did my parents. And so to see me today, and not have that be an issue in my life, I would hope that maybe that could give some glimmer of hope to those, because um, you can feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, but there can be.
0: Right. You know, as if the eating disorder wasn't enough, you you have another uh, thing that has, mm-hmm. that has affected your life as well, which you are uh, still battling with and uh, overcoming every day, which is MS. Mm-hmm. Tell us what, you know, what's that like for you? What's what? What's your? How's your life different from ours?
1: Well, um, I have to think about every step I take. I have to be conscious every day. I allot my body to a gas tank, and I only have so much gas that I can give. So I have to. Um, be, be conscious of where I use my energy and my time. But with all that said, I think living 18 years with this disease and being almost nine years stable with it, uh, I wake up every day knowing, knowing what I'm dealing with. Do I wish I didn't have to? Absolutely. With acting, I mean, I think for a long time I hid it and now that I'm public with it, People are so willing to be helpful and work around things, but I'm still trying to go through the process of not feeling like a burden or like, sorry that I come with this and trust that they want me for my talent and that that's the main reason I'm there. And also I feel kind of like this sense of responsibility being public with my MS for others. Not that I feel like I have to do anything, but just live my life and I wanna to continue to have the conversation and I'm so grateful that P- I people hire me as much as they do and I get to work as much as I do, but there's others that um, have more physical limitations and where it's more noticeable. Right. But it doesn't have to be, like, for them, they should be able to audition for any role because people with MS, people with any disabilities fall in love, have yeah. breakups, yep. have jobs, have children, have families. Like, it, it, you start to forget about that. MS, while I have to think about it for certain things, is not my life, and um, I continue to live that way and hope others can too.
0: Yeah, and thank you for having enough in the gas tank for us today.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> After The Sopranos, um, you played yourself. Yeah. On Entourage, another show that we watched whenever the kids would watch, <laughs> so loved it. What was that? What was that like going from, you know, being Meadow to to being yourself?
1: I thought it was like the greatest blessing and most perfect opportunity for me because here I was coming off Sopranos, where you know I was being told, "Look, people are going to see you as Meadow for a really long time." Oh yeah. So to get a job where I'm on the same channel. Yeah you know, of where you knew me from, playing a fictionalized version of myself where we will reference how you once knew me, but you're hearing me and seeing me differently. It was like this little bit of a transition out of meadow and seeing me, you know, in a different light that I think was really helpful.
0: What are the differences between you and you on HBO. You. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of things. I mean, her
1: ch- choices, life choices, um, social choices. She was, de- everything was fictionalized and, and sensationalized in Entourage. And uh, yeah, I think she was, she's just more a little bit abrasive and uh, much different lifestyle, much louder lifestyle than me.
0: So you're doing um, uh, mobtown now? Mm-hmm. Right? So the Sopranos, uh, it goes one of the. It goes down with critics as one of the best shows, and certainly a landmark show. Did you feel any trepidation about going back into that world again, no. even though it's it's obviously said in the past, it's not said yes. today?
1: I think there's been enough time, and I I'm now playing a woman. I'm playing one of the mob wives. Okay, so yeah, yeah. it was like such a fun opportunity, and it's just it's a piece of history. It's a true yep. story that yep. not many people know about. I didn't know about myself. I did not know about it. At all. So it's um, basically, it takes place in 1957 in a small town called Appalachian, New York. And it is the biggest meeting of the mobs known.
0: Before or afterwards, right? Ever.
1: Right, ever. And it was um, uncovered by a young police officer in that town, played by David Arquette in the film and he tips off the fbi and they bust it and that's sort of what began the fallout of the mafia and then later on years you know the rico act and things like that so it was a very pivotal moment in mob history yeah. that i just didn't know about before yeah no i have not and i played it. josephine barbara who hosts this meeting of the minds yeah. and is ferocious and loud could be a boss herself and is this is the biggest moment of her life preparing for this dinner and this evening because it's everything she's ever wanted it's her husband to get a bump up and so she was just wild and crazy and so much fun to play and of course doing anything period in the 50s is you know so informative already as an actress just the hair the makeup the wardrobe the sets right it was a blast
0: and your husband in the film you've known since you started in The Sopranos, right? Yes, I've known
1: him since I'm a teenager in New York City. He was a club promoter. He was Danny A, and he was just a guy that I used to talk about movies with, a movie buff. And then I had heard that he was like slowly producing and writing and directing and acting here and there, and we've always kept in touch. And then he texted me one day and was like, I'm directing this movie, and I think you'd be awesome as my wife. And that's how it came to be.
0: Were there any, because you've known each other so long, was there any sort of fun shorthand or little things that happened on set? Tons of
1: improv. Tons of improv between the two of us. Because Danny's such a -a one-of-a-kind guy. He's like really like um, manic energy and loud and funny. And you kind of never know where he's going to go with things. And I think because I knew that and I knew who I was gonna be playing well enough, we just had fun off of each other.
0: Uh, So um, you are identified to some extent as an Italian-American because you've done all these things. But you're not, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I wrote down you've got sort of Cuban, Greek, Romanian, Sephardic Jew background, basically. That's it, right?
1: That's, those are the ones. Those are
0: the ones. So do you, you feel like you've been adopted by the Italian community at I this
1: point? I guess I love the Italian community. I love that culture. Um, I'm happy to be adopted, and I, if, if as long as be, I'm playing in Italian right now in the film that I'm making right now. So uh, yeah, as long as you keep hiring me, I'm happy to play Italian. <laughs>
0: Is there anything that you would like our audience to know about Mopdown?
1: It's just a really classic throwback to what you love about mafia movies. It's wise guys, romance, um, action, violence, wacky characters, boisterous people, comedy, fun, suspense, and it's a true story.
0: Right. You know, you've made you've made your career look kind of easy, uh, <laughs> even though we've talked about some of the hurdles you've overcome. Has the industry always been as understanding of if you had any hurdles thrown up to you, as people have said, you know, whether that's because you've aged, as we all do. Of course. <laughs> or you've had MS, or you've had any of these things.
1: Uh, no, I've had lots of lulls and hard times, and I think before I came out with my MS, just kind of harsh judgment as to like, how I would move, or how I couldn't do certain things, um, and I don't hold that against anyone. Um, but all I can do is keep putting myself out there. I mean, any actor can tell you how hard it is to be in this business. I mean, you're you're selling yourself yeah, every day, every you day. know, and that's how you're not supposed to take that personal. So yeah. it's it's a rough career choice, but I love it when it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank it was you. Great to see you. You all too.
1: Right.